Well, it's wonderful to see all your parents with us today and grandparents. Um, I was looking at Proverbs chapter 17 today. Proverbs 17 chapter 6 is grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children uh, is their fathers. And so it's wonderful to see many of you have the opportunity to be here with your grandkids. And I also understand that uh, we have two, well, four new grandparents today. And so I want to congratulate the Holmeses and the Steffens on being grandparents. You got a little, um, hold, hold on a second, we have Mac, I, I'm going to have this. Macklin, thank you. I had the first half. Macklin and Addie, right? Well, congratulations to you guys. We're so excited for you. What a blessing that God has brought into your life. Well, we're thankful that you're here with us today. Uh, as part of our worship service, we always turn our attention to God's Word, and, and what a blessing to see children hiding God's Word in their hearts. You know, Dwitty Free, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And in this collection of books, God has given us instructions for everything that we need for life and godliness. That's why you'll find that we devote much of our church services to discovering God's Word together. It's why we devote much of our time in Awana to discovering God's Word and to memorizing God's Word. It's why as a congregation we, we read God's Word and, and uh, we do that in church and services and we also do that individually through the week. But the Scripture makes clear God's desire to to have a relationship with us. It reveals how mankind has rejected our Creator, and in fact, how we have gone to war with Him. According to the Scriptures, God the Son took on human flesh to show us God the Father, to reconcile men and women back to Himself. And according to the Scriptures, Jesus died on a Roman cross to take the penalty that He did not deserve. But it was a penalty that we could not satisfy. And according to the Scripture, Jesus rose from the dead. And so we believe that He conquered sin, and He conquered death, and that's the reason that we can celebrate today. And God continues to enter into relationship with men and women right now, today. You know, we, we read the Bible and we hear these stories, and oftentimes we think that so many of these things are from ages past, and those stories were for people that, that heard visions from God and saw things in the past, and, and they had relationship with Jesus, and they walked with Jesus. But the invitation of Scripture is that we can enjoy that today as well. That men and women right now in our time, people not just that were in stories 2,000 years ago, that God is still interested in being with His people. He saves those who take God at His word and repent of their personal rebellion against God. For those who believe in Jesus Christ who died for them, He grants to them not only eternal life, but He begins a relationship with them in which He gives us a new heart. He gives us Himself. Jesus gives us His own righteousness so that we can stand before God without guilt. And in the Scripture, we find instruction for how to follow Jesus and how to live life fully. However, I, I think it's probably, a lot of us, we, we open the pages of the Bible, and I don't know if you're like me, but you open the Scripture, and sometimes you turn to some of these stories, and you think, what in the world is going on here? We just had a group of men that studied the book of Judges together, and there's some wacky passages in there, right, men? There's some crazy things, and, and it's, it's a record of things that happened in history, and you think, what was God doing through this? And how do all these stories tie together? And sometimes these various books of the Bible seem disconnected to us, and we don't necessarily understand this big picture, and we don't always see how and understand how these various stories of people on earth fit together. Does anybody else have that experience? You just, it seems far removed from my life, and sometimes understanding the context in which some of these people lived, it just seems far removed from us. And so at Duty Free, 
we want to help people understand God's story and, and how His upper story connects to the lower story of people's lives that are recounted in the Bible, and, and then how that makes a difference today in your story, in my story, and the way that we live our life today. And so recently, we began a series called The Story, and we're, we're just a few weeks into that, and we're discovering how God is orchestrating all of this, how he, you, you look through the Scripture, and how, is all, how do all these things fit together uh, from beginning to end, and, and we want to see how He is taking what we broke and how he's restoring it again. One of our main objectives in this series is to build a framework. We're trying to build a framework for how to understand the whole Bible. Now, obviously, in these seven months, we're not trying to go through every passage of the Bible. We're not going to try to explain every detail of the Bible. Um, But if the Bible was a house, uh, we would would not be trying to put glass in the windows or on the roof. we, um, we wouldn't be putting up walls, on the sheetrock on the walls and painting and putting carpet on the floors. But what we're just doing is we're building this frame for the house so that people can read the Bible with a better understanding of how God's story is put together. And then we can discover all the details as we continue to grow. And so, uh, we, so far we've, we've seen that God created the world. Later on, God created a special nation that he is going to bless all the nations of the earth through. He started that nation with one man, and his name was, the kids aren't here, so you're going to have to help us out. What was his name? Adam. Uh, Yeah, that was the first man, definitely. But the first man that God started this nation through was Abraham. Very good. Very good. You took me off guard with Adam, but you're absolutely right. Uh, It did start with him. And so um, he started that nation with this one man. Hundreds of years later, this family had grown into a great nation called Israel, And, and And we are at the point in our story where God gives this nation their first king. We looked at Saul last week, actually. And so last Sunday, we discovered how God set King Saul up for success. He gave him everything that he needed to to reign well, to be a good king, a godly king. And for a time, this first king ruled with those priorities intact. But as, as Saul's story continues on, we witnessed how Saul was more afraid of what people would think of him than what God had commanded him. And so Saul's disloyalty comes to a breaking point, and God tells us that Saul, he, he tells Saul that he has rejected him. He tells Saul that he's going to select a new king rather than give his throne to one of Saul's sons. And his kingdom, uh, it, it could have been established. God tells him it could have been established and passed on to generations. But instead, God announces to Saul that the kind of man that he is looking for is going to be a, a, a man that will rule under the Lord's kingship. They will recognize that that Israel has a king, and it's their God. And a human king that they have is serving under Yahweh, their God. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, we saw this key verse from from this period of history last week, and a key verse for our lives as well. And we observed where God announces to Saul and says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. So this morning, we're going to discover the next king in the story who God describes as a man after his own heart. And that individual was a young man named David. We'll spend some time uh, in, next Sunday looking at some of the poetry and, and the songs that he wrote, wrote and, and then after that, uh, on another Sunday, we'll look at some of his time on the throne. But today, we're just going to spend some time in two passages where we see God preparing this man 
after his own heart to be the next king. And so if you would just join me, let's go to our God in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his word. We, uh, Father, we love you. We adore you. Uh, we're so thankful for, for the children that, that demonstrated this morning that they've been hiding your word in their hearts. We, we thank you that, that they are learning to love the scripture, to recognize the truth that is there, the principles to live by, the, the, the truths that are real for them today and relevant in their lives just as much as it is in ours, just as much as it was 2,000 years ago when many of these other people lived and, and, and served you. Father, we pray that as we turn to Scripture today and, and see a story that happened uh, about 3,000 years ago, Father, we recognize that, that these people uh, walked before you and, and they were real people. And you were working in their lives in, in the same way you were working in ours. And so I pray that we would learn the lessons of Saul and David. I pray that you'd help us to understand the Scripture here. And you'd help us to live these things out and, and understand what we see. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to focus on just the first few verses of that chapter. And our passage opens with the prophet Samuel. And, and, and he's grieving over Saul, which we saw the events that happened last week of God rejecting Saul. And, and the king is still alive, but Samuel's grieving for him because of what's happened and because they are never going to see each other again on this side of life. But the Lord speaks to Samuel and tells him to go to Bethlehem to stop his grieving and, and to go to where he's going to select a new king. And he's going to follow an ancient custom. He's going to fill a, a horn, probably a ram's horn. He's going to fill that with oil. And he's going to take that uh, to Bethlehem, where Jesus will be born uh, a thousand years later. And uh, he's going to anoint Israel's next king. In fact, God tells him that he's providing a king from the sons of a man named Jesse. It's a precarious task because Samuel and the people are afraid of Saul. In fact, Samuel even says, Lord, I, I, if I go down, I mean, I, he realizes he's going to have to pass the town where Saul lives, and the road goes right through there. And he realizes that this could be the end of his life if he does things wrong. And so he asks God, and God says, you go and you anoint the man that I show you. In verse 4, we read, Samuel did what Yahweh commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so each one of Jesse's sons are going to be brought before Samuel. And God will show him which one of those is the man. That man will be selected and Samuel will, will take that, that horn and he'll pour the oil over his head and that, that oil is going to saturate into his hair and it's going to go down into his clothes. It's going to, to saturate and he'll be covered with that for days. That, that oil is not going to wash out very easily. And, and it was an ancient custom in choosing a leader in, and they would do this with the kings, they would do this with their priests, sometimes even with their prophets. And it carried a lot of symbolic meaning as, as the oil covered the man. So God's Spirit would also come upon him. It was a ceremony showing God's supernatural selection of the person. But if you were Samuel, how would you select the person? If you're looking at all these men, what would be some of the priorities that you would say, that's the kind of guy that I'm looking for in the next king of Israel? What qualities would you think would make for a good king of the chosen nation of Israel? 
I have to ask myself, what are some of the qualities that attract us to people that we choose as our leaders today? We, we look for people that are well-spoken, right? We want somebody that's maybe persuasive, maybe a good debater. You know, they're going to have to stand on a stage and debate somebody else that's running for the same office. Perhaps we want somebody that's moderately good-looking, not too good-looking, so that, you know, they don't get, let the, their, the things get, ahead, get to their head. But, um, you know, somebody that's attractive, somebody that's well-dressed, someone who stands out and people are going to pay attention to. Successful in business, someone who has a track record for leadership. One of the first things that you're going to do when you're selecting leaders, you're going to ask yourself, what's their resume? What have they been doing? How have they been successful in the past? What have been some of their experiences? We're looking for someone who can wade into our battles and fight well, whether that arena is politics or, or morality or in actual physical combat. And so we want a resume, don't we? We want credentials. But what priority was the Lord looking for when Samuel went to select Israel's next king? Saul, we're told, was a head taller than all the others. So he, he stood above the rest, literally. He started out timid, but eventually he led the people into their battles. He took initiative. He played politics. And he played it well for, for a long time. He met some of those standards that, that people were looking for. And for a while, he met God's standards. But ultimately, we saw that the Lord rejected Saul because his heart was not in pursuit of God's heart. God wants a man after his own heart. And watch how he reiterates this, and he teaches Samuel as Samuel's trying to pick the right guy. When they came, in verse 6, he, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely Yahweh's anointed is before him. I mean, here was this strapping young man, and old, you know, probably in his 20s or 30s, maybe early 40s, the oldest son of Jesse. Something about him was physically right. He, he stood before him, and, and Samuel said, this must be the guy. But Yahweh said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. And so again, the natural leader in the crowd didn't pass the test. And God rejects Jesse's eldest son. In verse 8, it says, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has Yahweh chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, Yahweh has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. So think about Jesse's perspective on his own son. You know, he, he knows what's happening. He's aware of, of, of what this meeting is about. And uh, he doesn't even invite his eighth son. Not exactly the resume you'd be looking for, right? I mean, this is going to be the king of Israel. And who are we going to select? A shepherd. Somebody who's probably in his teens or early 20s. Here's a career that did not put a person in the public eye. Uh, watching sheep... Uh, resulted in countless hours of solitude. Um, on most days, David probably had more conversations with the animals than he did with other human beings. This was a career that led to a guy smelling like the creatures that he watched over. What Samuel said to Jesse, he said, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Ruddy, I, I remember reading that word growing up every time I read this passage and I thought, what in the world does ruddy mean? Anybody know what ruddy means? 
Anybody? What's it mean, Bruce? A rosy complexion. Very good. It's the same word that's used of Esau, which we know was what color? He was a red man. He probably had red hair. And so David probably has this rosy complexion, or uh, in, in Scripture, he may have had red hair. Uh, it probably refers to the fact that David's been outside a lot. And what happens when you sit in the sun? You get a nice rosy complexion, don't you? Uh, you get well tanned and, and, and darkened. And so ruddy probably refers to the fact that, that David, um, he had a, a nice tan going on from the sun in addition to his Middle Eastern skin tones. He was a handsome young man, but he was the runt of the litter, I mean, the youngest of all of his brothers. And Yahweh said in verse 12, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. And so you see, God saw in David something that others couldn't see. Even his own father didn't include David in the ceremony. Um, he was the last man picked for the team, in other words. The, the brothers we're going to see in the next chapter. Uh, when they're off to battle, David comes to bring them some food, and uh, they chew him out. They say, where, where, who do you leave the sheep with in the wilderness? Uh, Goliath, the mighty warrior that he's going to fight in the next chapter, calls him a stick. And King Saul's going to look at him and see nothing more than a boy. But the Lord saw a shepherd who had trained for and cared for sheep and kept them out of danger. More importantly, the Lord saw David's heart. In Psalm chapter 78, uh, the, the whole psalm gives an account of the history of Israel, how God, how God chose them, and he led them out of Egypt, and they rejected, again, rejected him, they rebelled him against him. But the, the psalm ends in verses 70 to 72 uh, with David. And God describes David's resume this way. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes who brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. God saw a shepherd, and he saw not what was on the outside, but he says, here's a man who is after my own heart. I want you to digress with me, though, and I want you to ask yourself about another individual. I want you to think about what God is looking for in you. One day, you and I are going to stand before our Creator. One day, you will have to give Him an accounting. So how do you impress the God of the universe? How do you persuade the Almighty Judge and convince Him to grant you entrance into eternity rather than be cast away as a rebel who continually lived at war with Him? How do you impress the God who made everything? Will you convince Him with your rugged good looks? No, that won't get very far, especially not for me. The size of your bank account, the prestige of your career, will you stand before him and look at what I did and, and how well I achieved in my business? That all burns away. Maybe, maybe he'll be impressed by your charitable giving. Certainly many social and religious leaders will fawn over you for your generosity. They'll put your name on a bronze plaque. A couple more generations will see your name written on, on stone. None of that impresses the Lord. What about going to church? 
volunteering at the food bank, helping widows and orphans. Maybe you have a nursing home ministry or, or you go to the hospital to take care of people. Maybe you'll spend a month in Venezuela on a missions trip where there's no air conditioning. Certainly the Lord will look on these outward displays of your righteousness and say, ah, that's what I need, that guy, right? That will impress him. We've been looking for someone like you in heaven. Is that what God will say? No. The Lord still says, I see not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. More devastating than all of this, that, that all the good things that we think that we can bring to God and impress Him with, that none of that counts for anything. Not in, in pleasing Him, not in impressing Him, not in proving ourselves to Him. But more devastating than all this, here's God's final assessment of mankind and all the righteous deeds that we've done, that we've offered Him from Romans chapter 1. And this is a quotation of one of the Psalms. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So what was it about David that makes him different than that? What was it about David that caused the Lord to assess him as a man after God's own heart? Because even David fails to meet God's righteous standard. Even David fits into that description that we just read from that psalm in, in Romans. David wasn't righteous. There was nothing that David did that God said, ah, that's the one I'm looking for. What was it about David that God said, this is a man that's after my own heart? This is the man that I want to, to lead Israel. We're going to see later on that David's going to really fail God's righteous standards, isn't he? If you've read 2 Samuel, you know that David has some great failures. He'll commit adultery. It's worse than adultery. It's what we would call royal rape. He left the woman with no choice. And then he murders her husband. He sends him out to battle, and he causes the troops to withdraw, and, and the man dies, along with many others. His family's a wreck. He, he completes a census that was, he was not supposed to do. He breaks God's law directly. David really blows it. So what was it that caused the Lord to forgive all these horrible sins and still to use David as his man? What was under the cover that met God's requirement? And I'd like to present to you that there's one feature of David's life at the beginning when God chose him and through the midst of, of all of his sins and, and, and even at the end of his life after many great successes and many great failures there was one feature of David's life that caused the Lord to say, here is a man after my own heart. And we learn this principle in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so you see, God was not impressed with all the externals. And in the end, there was nothing that David could do to prove his heart was righteous because not even David could do good. Not even David could come before God and God would say, ah, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Oh, look at all these deeds. Look at all these amazing features. But what we do find is that David was a man who believed God. And like God did back in Genesis for Abraham, when Abraham believed God, we're told that God credited it to Abraham as righteousness. And I believe that God credits that faith to David as righteousness. And it's the same thing for you and me, isn't it? 
Isn't that what Hebrews teaches us? Romans teaches us? The entire Bible. That's the structure we're looking at. We're seeing that, that this wasn't something different in the Old Testament that's now new in the New Testament. God is working in a way in which He is bringing people to faith. He credits our belief in Him as righteousness. It's the same thing for us. There's, there's nothing that you can do to prove your worth. There's nothing that you can do to earn His favor. You and I are enemies at war with our Creator until your heart chooses the one thing that God values. To believe Him. To believe what He says. God tells us that we've, we have a sin problem. He tells us that in order for our account to be wiped clean, we must take God at His word and we must rest our trust in the one who shed His blood in our place. And we either believe Him about that or we don't. Or maybe you believe here and say, well, I know that he died on the cross. I know Jesus died for sins. But you never come before him acknowledging that you have violated God's standards. That you are at war with God and you've never trusted him to forgive your sins. Not personally. You've not turned to him in repentance. When one of the disciples asked Jesus about the way, where are you going? Lord responded and said, I am the way and the truth and the life, Thomas. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, if you're here and you're still trying to find your way apart from Christ, then your heart has rejected God's heart and your war with the Creator continues. But here's the beauty of what happens when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ according to the Scripture. God not only grants to them eternal life, and not only grants to them forgiveness, but, but Scripture tells us that he, he puts within them a new heart. He takes what was dead, and he gives it new life. And just as the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, God has given us his Spirit to every man, woman, and child who responds to him in faith. And with the Spirit's presence in our lives, He enables people to continue walking in faith as we follow Jesus Christ. The next chapter of 1 Samuel is going to recount one of the most famous stories in the Bible. We won't have the time to, to go through that whole chapter today. I just want to pick out a couple of verses and point some, point some things to you. It's the story of uh, David and Goliath. Uh, David comes up against this giant, this warrior of the Philistines. But I want you to understand that the, the emphasis of this passage is not on Goliath. He's an important part of it, and it does highlight his features and how strong he is, how tall he is. But when you see that, what's the first thing that you should be reading after you've read the first 16 chapters of 1 Samuel? We know a guy like that who's taller than all the rest, a head taller than all the people. We know a guy who has fought our battles for us and led us into the battles, and he's our king. And the first thing that should have been going through people's minds was, you know, here's a guy who's taller than everybody else, and the Philistines have brought out their champion. We also have a champion, and God is on his side. He's a head taller than all the rest of us, and he serves the God of Israel. But that never happens in 1 Samuel 17. And it's in this chapter that the hinge switches, and we, we turn the door in 1 Samuel, and the, the focus goes from King Saul to, to the raising up and the training of King David. And as if within this context, this ruddy young man shows up on the battlefield and he responds. And David doesn't come up with pride. It's not that he's like, you know, hey, look at me. I, I'm, I've been anointed. I'm the guy. You know. He doesn't come with arrogance. 
But I believe that when David approaches that battlefield, he comes in faith. The faith that had established him as a man after God's own heart because he had believed God and what God says, and God credited it to him as righteousness, and David continues to walk in faith, and that's demonstrated here in the battlefield because he shows up and he takes God at his word. His response is not to, not to look at the, the, the enemy. When he hears the evil boasts of the enemy, enemy's warrior, David's response was not to look at the strength of Israel's army, but to look at the strength of their God. And his actions were in response to the promises that God had made to Israel. And that's why he could say to the experienced soldiers that were all around him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was a man who was already saved by faith. He was a man after God's own heart. And now he continues to live out that faith in his life. And his trust in the God of Israel and his trust in the promises that God has made leads him to, to go to the people. He comes to Saul and says, I'll fight him. To which Saul responded, you're, you're a kid. That's my paraphrase. But listen to the resume that David gives Saul. But David said to him, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. We're in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. I used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And notice he doesn't say, I'm, I'm the guy, you know, look, look at me, look how strong I am. But, but he, he points to what God has promised and who God is. But look at verse 37, because here's where you see David's faith being lived out. Verse 37 is very key here. And David said, Yahweh who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Phil this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and Yahweh be with you. I, I believe that David wasn't just being courageous. I mean, it was courageous and bold, but it wasn't just that. This wasn't positive energy. This wasn't good vibes. David was not speaking truth into existence. That's all hogwash that the gurus of our time are trying to feed you. God has given specific promises to Israel regarding the enemies like the Philistines. And what it came down to is David believed God. And so that's why he could go with confidence and he could go up against this giant with a slingshot and five stones. David believed God. That's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You believe God for what he said the way that he said he'll save you. It is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And as we walk in faith, what we are doing is daily, we are saying, God, I believe you. The battles that I'm facing in my own life, the struggles that I'm going through, I, I open up the scripture and I find your promises, I find truth, and I'm going to live life by these promises because I believe you. And that's what walking by faith is. So, what's under the cover? If you're still trying to prove yourself to God or if you're hoping that you're somehow going to make it when you're on the other side, that somehow God will be impressed enough to forgive your sins or maybe things will just outweigh themselves, then I want you to understand that you are not pursuing God's heart according to the Scripture. 
And if you're here today and you've realized that this war is still raging against the one who will rightfully judge you, then right now in this moment, right where you're sitting in your chair, that faith can become a reality when you say, I believe you. Lord, I believe what you did for me on the cross. I believe what you did for my sins, and I turn to you to transform my heart, to change me, to forgive me. And right where you're sitting, that salvation can become a reality. You may receive forgiveness for your sin by believing on the Lord Jesus who died for you. And Christian, I want you to understand that if you're trying to live, to follow Jesus and live the Christian life apart from faith, if you think that the Christian life somehow is different from when you came to faith in the first place, that you can just continue working it out and, and you can be this good person and prove God through the rest of it, then you are denying the power that brought you eternal life in the first place. And you, you, and, I, you and I have to understand that like David, trusting God's promises and it is what our walk of faith is like. We trust God's promises and that is how we walk by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so may each one of us here, even if today is the first time that God says it regarding you, might Lord be able to say that this is a man or a woman after my own heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of people like David. As we continue to watch the history and the story unfold and, and see how you are working in the midst of all these individual stories of people, who needed you, who were learning to walk by faith. We see that you were the one who was uniting it all together and accomplishing your plan. That You were taking what we broke in the beginning and you were bringing it about to bring glory to you and great good for us. We look forward to seeing the culmination of that plan as we, as we move forward towards that day. And for now, we walk by faith. We believe you and we will follow you. We will trust you in the things that you say. Lord, be glorified in our lives as our hearts pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.